Psalm 19 this morning. We are going to uh, continue and finish up um, our series in Psalm 19. And we're not going to get through the whole thing, but this will be the final week. And then next week, we're going to be transitioning into a line-by-line expository approach to uh, the uh, prayer of the Lord in Matthew chapter 6, which we are really excited about. But I want to turn, I want to uh, just encourage you to turn to Psalm 19 this morning as we read God's word. And I'm going to pray as we prepare our hearts uh, for this this morning. So ultimately, you guys, this portion of, of our meeting together is to focus primarily on the words of God. They're they're here primarily to focus on God and God being the center of everything that is given to you this morning. Um, God is going to be the goal of this message, and it's going to be on the grounds of Christ, and it's going to be through the gift of the Spirit. That I am up here preaching and sharing the Word of God, hopefully not uh, with my own knowledge, but that I'm relying on the word of God to be what I express and communicate to you guys this morning. So really, God is the goal of everything we do. And it is on the grounds of Christ that I can even stand in his grace this morning to give you this word. And I will do it hopefully inspired by the gift of the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. Father, I ask God that we would be struck this morning by the greatness of you. And God, that we would be struck by the greatness of your word. God, I pray that our only aim this morning is to preserve and to protect and to display your glory in your word. Father, I ask, God, that we would savor and delight in you by uh, focusing on the, the goodness of you in your word, and that the urgency of your words would be something that we would apprehend this morning. But ultimately, Lord, I ask, God, that the, the centeredness of God would be what we value the most, that that it is you above all things that we will exalt, Lord God, with our words and with our minds and with our hearts. So, Father, I ask that you would prepare us to receive this. God, that it would pierce deep, that as as we exact your word this morning, as we begin to draw out your truth, Lord, as we begin to explain or to understand what it is that you're saying, Lord God, that as we pierce into and we surgically and precisely uh, wrap our minds around what it is that you want to say, Lord God, I pray that it would, it would uh, pierce our very hearts, that it would do surgery on us, God, that it would bring us to the fullness of a conviction before a holy God and that it would bring transformation in the lives of your worshipers. And we thank you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're going to continue in Psalm 19. Uh, And in Psalm 19, verse 8, we see uh, David now has made a transition. Uh, As we know, in in Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6, uh, David is talking about his general revelation, that God in his general revelation and creation has shown us who he is. 
and has, has expressed the glory of who he is and that all of us, because we are simply created in the image of God, have been able to understand and experience the glory of God through creation. And he extols the wonders of God in creation. And then in verse 7, he makes this transition and then he begins to speak about the specific revelation of God and specifically God's revelation through his spoken, breathed out word. The first part uh, he says is that the law of the Lord is perfect. And then he transitions and talks about the testimony of the Lord being sure. And this week, we're going to look at the precepts of the Lord. And the precepts of the Lord, he says, are right. As we move from verse to verse, we continue to see a pattern that David, in the first line, he, he shows us who God is through God's word that he looks upon the word of God and he ascribes to it certain attributes, that he sees in God through his word the purity of God, the sureness of God, and many other things. Last week when we looked at uh, this passage, we saw that God was sure in his testimony, and that the result of that is wisdom for all those who are willing to hide it in their heart. David says that the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The idea here is, is that God's testimony is, is a witness to himself. When God uh, gives his word, it is a witness to himself. God gives us the holy word, his scriptures, his breathed out word for one purpose. It is bring, to bring a witness to himself, that God testifies to himself and who he is in his perfection through his word. That's what a testimony is designed to do. So this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 19, verse 8. And today's takeaway is this. Joy overflows the heart, and illumination fills the eye. as we delight in the unswerving word of God that cleanses us. The title of this series is called Matchless. And the revelations of God are matchless. His revelation in creation is matchless. His revelation through his word is matchless. His nature and his word, in other words, are unrivaled, without equal, unparalleled, pre uh, transcendent unprecedented, perfect, wonderful. So let's look. Psalm 19, verse 8, says this. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. 
In all matters, the Lord demonstrates a matchless uprightness. In everything he directs, causing in us an overflow of tremendous joy in his ways. So we're going to dissect this this morning and, and do a little surgery in the word of God and sort of pull out what it is that God means in this passage. This first word that we look at, David says that the precepts of the Lord are right. And this idea of precepts is another word that, that David uses for the word of God. He, he refers to the word of God as God's law. He refers to the word of God as God's commandment. He refers to the word of God as God's testimony. And now he refers to the word of God as God's precepts. It is another word for the word of God. It's a synonym mean to refer to the same thing. But in a certain sense, it is translated as directions or orders or commands. The implication is quite literal in that every word that comes from the mouth of God is right in the way it directs. There's this idea with this word that it's, it's not just the testimony of God bearing witness to who he is, but it is literally the ability of God to direct all things. That's what precepts means. His directions. This word takes on a directive sense in that it specifically refers to God's supreme ability to direct every affair in accord with his will. Let me say that again. That God has supreme ability through his words to direct everything in accord with his will. He has supreme ability to direct everything because of his remarkable power in ordering the affairs of men in accord with his will. That's what direct or precepts means. God has all ability, all authority, and that everything he speaks is perfect in guiding and directing everything in accord with his purpose. So David says that the precepts of the Lord are right. So David first uh, speaks out this word and he, he refers to the word of God and then he, uh, he gives us or explains to us an attribute of the word and in connection explains to us or gives us an insight into the very essence and being of God himself that God's word, God's precepts, God's directions are right. Why? Because they flow from the source which is always right. And this idea of God being right it flows from his uprightness. The nature of the Lord is right, so by extension, everything he utters, every direction he decrees is right. God does not possess the ability to utter a wrong word, for in doing so, he will violate his own nature. And he ceases to be God. 
This word right literally can be translated straight. In other words, every direction of the Lord is straight. It is uh, never crooked. It is never corrupted. It is never polluted. That everything that God directs and speaks is straight. It's never swerving. It never goes to the left or to the right. That it is always straight. It's like a straight path. If you, if you would so uh, think about um, a moment in time maybe where you have traveled across the country. And I've done this once. And it was fun. At sometimes it was fun. But there was something about driving through the, through the Midwest for me personally and through like starting in like Ohio maybe through Iowa and Nebraska that, that when I was traveling and driving, there was, it was like the road was just going forever and for, to all sides you could see. There was nothing obstructing my view to either side and there was nothing obstructing my view into the, to the front of me that the road literally looked like it went straight forever right into the horizon. And for me, uh, that was the most wonderful part of driving across country. I don't know why. It gave me this sense of assurance and certainty that I knew where I was going and I could see the destination. It is like that with, with the Lord's directions, that as we hide his directions in our hearts, that it is like a straight path that always leads to certainty, that we can always see, even though we don't know fully what God is doing, we know what he's done through his son. But as we journey through life, there is this sense that uh, his directions are always straight and they're never veering. They will never, they will never cause us to drift off course. But they are straight and they are right. The directions of God the ways of God can never not be straight. The nature of God renders his directions completely absent of any corruption or crookedness. That's what, Paul, that's what David is saying. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 44 if you can. I'm going to talk about uh, King Cyrus for a moment. The Lord has established, I want you to understand this, the Lord has established the distinct right to use whom he pleases to vindicate the essence of his uprightness and to prove his allegiance to his own word. The Lord has reserved the right to choose who he pleases to do this. Look at this uh, King uh, Cyrus, this, this, uh, this passage here in Isaiah chapter 44, verses 28. This is the Lord speaking about King Cyrus. Earlier in, in verse 24, uh, it begins, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. And then it goes on to say, these are the things that I do. These are the things that I say. And this is what the Lord says about Cyrus. He is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose. Saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple your foundation shall be laid. God, because of his supreme ability, has determined that his directions, his precepts would come to pass even through a king of Persia who didn't even know him, who did not call on his name, who did not trust in the abilities of God, 
but God in his directions, because they were always right and straight, uses Cyrus in order to fulfill and accomplish his purpose. That is what we are talking about when we talk about the precepts of the Lord being right, that they are never swerving, they are never corrupted, they are never polluted, but yet they achieve their purpose for which it is always sent out, no matter what. Psalm 119, 104. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. How is it that we gain understanding and wisdom and knowledge of God? It is only through the directions of God. It is only through the word of God. That is how we gain. That is the foundation for our understanding of God. And if we are uh, laying a foundation, if we are availing ourselves for the word of God to be laid as a foundation in our lives, if the directions and the precepts of God are supremely valued in our lives, what does it say? We will hate every wrong way. The implication here is that the opposite of God's directions are wrong. God is right. God is straight. God is pure. And then David goes on to say that the precepts of the Lord are right. And what is the cause of this? This is who God is. This is his directions. This is who he is but this is what it causes in the life of a believer that chooses to follow his directions, a rejoicing. God says, or David says, that the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Rejoicing the heart. The rightness of God's precepts is matchless, unrivaled, as it perfectly communicates the inescapable positive effects they have on the life of every man and woman. What is the positive effect of rendering the Lord's directions as supreme in our lives? Complete and abundant joy in every circumstance, in every season, no matter the struggle. Yet we may uh, have moments in our lives where uh, the presence of God seems to be the furthest away. We may have moments in our lives and seasons in our lives where we are struggling to know God, to understand. We may ask, why has this happened? Why am I in a season of life where I do not even uh, perceive you? Why do I feel, Lord, like I am experiencing a dark night of the soul where uh, the presence of who you are seems the furthest away from me? Why is it that I cannot understand? Why is it that I cannot experience? Why is it that it seems as though you have abandoned me? Yet in this very dark place, God's promise to you and me is that if we determine that his directions and his precepts will be the most valuable thing in our lives, if we consider and determine in our lives to follow him 
regardless of the circumstance, that he is faithful to provide abundant and complete joy. Our delight in God flows from our submission to every directive, every precept. And the Lord's precepts will never lead us astray. They will never be manipulative. They are established in the moral rightness of his character. And we find great pleasure and and desire in his truth. It is this free-flowing joy and delight in the Lord that bursts from his word that brings us new life in his directions. Psalm 119.93 says this, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. David goes on to say this. He changes and switches in the next line. He says, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. In other words, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God in its purest form is matchless. It is a matchless cleansing agent that disinfects the heart. And it disinfects disinfects the heart through the illumination of our nature. This word commandment that David uses is another word for his law or his precepts or his instructions. It's, It's rendered his orders, his directions, his prescriptions. It's simply another word to reflect the distinct words that flow from the very mouth of God that we have in our hands, in our possession, the very words of God, the very breathed out words of God, that these words uh, are a witness and a testimony to the very essence of who God is this morning. That if we want to know God, we can know him through his word in a far greater reality than any other way. Yes, we experience and know him through prayer. Yes, we experience and know him through conversation. Yes, we experience and know him through life circumstances. Yes, we experience and know him through the darkest times. Yes, we experience and know him in the triumphs. Yes, we experience and know him in the mountaintops and in the valleys that our life experiences and circumstances do, in a sense, reveal the nature of God. But how is it that we know that God is who he is through all of these times and all of these moments? It is only by his very word that we can know that. We cannot go through life absent of understanding this and just experience life and get an understanding of who God is. That the only way, our only frame of reference about who God is in the dark times and in the good times, in the mountaintops and in the valleys, in the moments of deep depression, in the moments of greatest joy, the only way we can fully know and understand the very essence and nature of God and who he is in every single moment, in every single part of our life is through the word of God. That is what we will be tethered to and what we will be committed to. 
So David says that the commandment of the Lord is pure. It is pure. His commands are pure. And that word can be simply rendered empty. Empty. And you're thinking to yourself, well, how can God's word be empty? How can God's word be empty of anything? Uh, Isn't God's word the thing that brings life? Isn't it the thing that fills? How is it that it can be empty? Well, this word really uh, refers to this idea of of empty or devoid of anything uh, that is contaminating. It is, in a sense, the uh, devoid or the emptiness of anything impure. So God's word is empty and devoid of anything impure or contaminated. Why? Because it's wholly pure, because it's unmixed with anything that could cause contamination. Its source is exclusively God, who does not rely on a secondary source for what he produces. Okay? That this word, his commands, are not a mixture of himself and man. That, that, that man cannot add his wisdom to God's word and call it God's word. Okay? So God's word is exclusively from the source of God. That is the only way it can lay claim to its purity. Because God doesn't rely on anything else for what he produces. That he is holy and solely uh, the, the, the source of all that he speaks. And so by nature, if God is pure, his words are pure. They are completely absent of any contamination. It's kind of like, you know, looking up at the sky. If you ever do this at night in your, in your backyard, if you're sitting out uh, uh, during the summer night uh, in a clear night and we look up into the stars and we, we were able to see the vastness of, of, the, of the stars and, and, and it seems like we could see uh, for miles and miles that we gaze into the very universe that God has uh, determined uh, to create that if we are far away from any city or any other light source, that we can fully see see with all clarity and all purity uh, the very splendor of the universe. This is kind of, in the same sense, uh, God's word, that it is absent of anything else that may determine to pollute it or to, to sort of, how should I say, um... What's the word I'm looking for? Distract us, not necessarily distract us, but uh, cause us to see it in a way uh, that is uh, impure. Hmm. If you will, it's kind of like standing uh, in a river and and you can sort of see all the way to the bottom uh, of the riverbed. You know, it's standing in a river that's completely, you know, unpolluted or, uncontam- or not contaminated by any human source. It would be like uh, maybe, uh, you know, standing in a river in Alaska where, 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 there's, where there's no human uh, intervention or contamination that you could literally see to the bottom of the river in the riverbed. It, it's, it, the the, the uh, nature of the word of God uh, can be likened to something like that. His commands purify the soul of every man and woman who wish to ingest it, to drink of it, to meditate on it. 
There was a moment in our life where we built a house and uh, we moved into the house. And at that point in time, you know, when everything gets turned on, the lights get turned on, everything is sort of in place. All of the plumbing fixtures are ready uh, to go. And, and when you get into that house, the plumber comes in and he, he, he goes into the basement and he uh, turns on the water main and then all the water from the well flushes into the house and then you turn your faucet on and you turn your uh, sinks on and you uh, th- then it is at that time the first time where you actually get to see what kind of water you have. Well, in our house, it wasn't a great experience. We had just built this house and it was wonderful and we were so excited to, to, to move into this new place of ours and um, so I went in there one day and met with the plumber, and he turns the water main on. And uh, I see the water coming out of the faucet, and I go, that's not right. Uh, that's not what water should look like. And he's like, oh, well, you know, we're not sure. You know, it could be the well. You might have to bleach the well. You might have to do this, that, A, B, and C. Uh, and so he's like, just leave the water running for like a couple days. So I did. I left the water running for a couple days. The sinks were on, all the water. He's like, you know, it might flush itself out. Well, um, let's just say that nothing changed. That the water that was coming out of our faucets and out of our sinks uh, were completely, I mean, just completely contaminated with all kinds of pollutants. It had arsenic in it. It had manganese. I mean, you name the mineral it had in it. It was not good to drink. It was not good to bathe in. It was not good to even cook with. It was good for nothing. It was good for nothing because the source of it was contaminated. We would fill up bottles of water and within five minutes of of all of the sediments settling, you could not see through the bottle of water. It was so hard. It was so dirty. It was so contaminated that we could not do anything with it. We couldn't even brush our teeth with it. But... God's word is not like that. His commands are pure. And they purify the soul of every man and woman who wish to drink of it, who wish to ingest it, who wish to meditate on it. It is bright and radiant. Another word here for pure is it is bright and radiant. It casts a light into the darkness of the human soul, illuminating the caverns of our thoughts, piercing the hollowness of our intentions. The words of God illuminate the depravity of our soul as it magnifies and demonstrates the moral purity and perfection of God. God's word demonstrates and magnifies his wonder, his purity, his perfection, while at the same time exposing our moral and spiritual bankruptcy. God's word is enlightening. David said that 
the commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The pureness of God's word, in one sense, casts the spotlight on his essential qualities, while at the same time illuminating our desperate need for him as it draws attention to our spiritual bankruptcy without him. That is what the word of God does. In Psalm 18, verses 26, it says, with the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. With the purified, you show yourself pure. What is the message here? It is that, that as, we, as we commit ourselves to the word of God, that as we avail ourselves to the purity of God, that it in a sense cleanses and purifies us and that God proves who he is through the purified that we can look upon our lives and see a sanctification process happening in us and say, you know what, God, you're purifying me, and Lord, you are, you are committed and proving your ability to purify the people who are after you through your word. And then he says that, that the wicked or the crooked, to them you make yourself tortuous, which means you can't, they can't understand you. To the crooked, they don't understand you. They don't, they don't recognize you. They, they don't trust you. But to those who, who want to be purified, those who want to be cleansed by your word, you will do it. You are committed to that through your word. And finally this. Mm. All of this finds its fulfillment in Christ. All of this finds its fulfillment in the gospel. That God ultimately shows us the power of his word as right and purifying through the life of Christ. And not only that, through our faith in him. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19, this is what Peter says, that we have the prophetic word fully confirmed to which we would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. That we have the prophetic word more fully revealed in Christ, that Christ comes and fulfills every command, every precept of God, that, that we fully see the sureness and the purity of God's word and the rightness of God's word in the person of Christ. That he is the prophetic word. He is the one that has been spoken of. And now we have the more fully prophetic word in our midst that he has come to the earth and died and so that we can find forgiveness and redemption in his blood. 
and that through the Holy Spirit, we can be cleansed and made right through the word of God. That Jesus is the very pinnacle of this word. The gospel is the fulfillment of God's testimony. It is the pinnacle of his pureness, the resolve of his righteousness. It is positioned at the proverbial tip of the salvation spear. This is the gospel. It most wholly displays the commitment God has to his word. And it most wonderfully demonstrates his fidelity to his righteousness and his purity. And to you. John 17, 17. Listen to what Jesus says about sanctification. He says, sanctify them, Lord. This is part of of Jesus' high priestly prayer uh, right before he goes to the cross. He understands what's before him. He is in a place uh, where he uh, is uh, distraught. He is in a place where he's, he, he's fully realizing at this point that in order to fulfill the will of God, it means him going and dying a sinner's death on the behalf of us so that he could reconcile us to uh, himself. And before he goes to the cross, this is what he says in his, in his priestly prayer with the Lord. He says this, he says, Lord, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. We have a picture here of of Christ and his understanding. He knows that he's being consecrated and his consecration finds its fulfillment in the cross. And, And he says to To the Father, he says, Lord, sanctify them, cleanse them, set them apart. Through what? Through your truth. That that Christ comes in as the fulfillment of all truth. That as we believe and put our faith in Christ, what is the result? It is a sanctification process. It is the very word of God that has the power to bring us into a place of cleanliness. It, It cleanses us, it sanctifies us, it sets us apart for a holy work for God. to sanctify them in your truth. Finally, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 says this, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, pure, right, free from contamination. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him all are believers in God, 
who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And here it is. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. There's nothing that we can be more sure of than the gospel because it is the fulfillment of every precept, every command, every decree. Peter goes on to say, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. That as we stay focused on the gospel of Christ, as we stay focused on his work on our behalf, that if we stay focused on what has been given to us, if we stay focused in a hope in Christ that secures our salvation, and not only that, that justifies us through his blood, that considers us right with God now, that, that in his death, he has given us his righteousness by taking on the penalty of our sin, and through that hope, through that understanding, through that belief, what happens, we are abide in the living word of God. We abide in the living word of God that does what? Sanctifies, cleanses, makes us pure and acceptable before a holy God. That is the soul, uh, that is one of the, the ways in which God has expressed and demonstrated who he is to us. That it is by his word that he shows us who he is. And abiding in his living word will, by God's promise, continue to sanctify and make us pure before him. That we put away all impurity, that we put away all uh, of the fleshly desire, and we say, God, I will consider your word to be the most wonderful purifying agent in my life. And that is the promise of God that he will do if we will continue and abide in him through his word. Amen. Amen.